0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Let me look right here, right here. Okay, let me ask you a few questions. Let's talk about restaurants. Would you be willing to wait for a really good restaurant a half hour, or would you just eat somewhere kind of crappy because you could get in right away?
1: What do you think? The look on people's faces when they wait in line just like, it's just, what are, are you going to eat or to stand
0: quietly? Have you ever uttered the phrase, get off my lawn? No. Okay. I mean, yeah, I've said, but I didn't mean like old man, like,
1: get off my lawn. I
0: meant more like, this is my property, so get off my lawn. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. You have early onset grumpiness. What? Early onset grumpiness, EOG. You're going to begin to enjoy fewer and fewer things in your life. you would be saying things like, who are these people? Who are those people? That's the, I mean, it's a real question. The only reason you leave the house is to see classic old movies, and even then you'll say, it had some good parts, but all in all, it was fairly uneven. You're very young to have EOG. Your life is going to change forever. Is there anything I can do? Normally we try meds, but you're too young for them. You seem kind of grumpy. Are you a grump? Yeah, but I'm a very old man. I'm 83 sorry. I'll notify your family.
1: Don't not notify my sister. She didn't even pick up the phone half the time. She gives people a hard time. Good morning. That really has nothing to do with today's time together. I just thought it was a funny video and my daughter sent that to me. And I thought it'd be fun for us to see it together. Uh, that actually is related. I want to... There is some... There's a lot of truth to that video, uh, early onset grumpiness, that... Um, I won't sugarcoat this for you. And this is true. Uh, Your ears are not the only thing that will grow over time into the day you die. Well, that's a fact, and we know that. Also, uh, counselors and psychiatrists will tell you that uh, personality traits also grow and exaggerate over time. And, for example, if you're a worrier now and if you don't do something drastic about it then you will be compulsive in your worrying as an older person and you will drive your family away your stubborn person you will die alone your vanity it becomes the the reason you exist it will turn you ugly this is true no one stays the same if you just go through life you will get worse noticeably, demonstrably worse. And some of you might even have early onset grumpy worse already. But I didn't come here today to tell you that. I'm very excited today to tell you there is a way out. Look at this this one quote about our passage today from a smart guy. I mentioned I won't even quote names anymore. Uh, This is one of the most important and helpful verses on Christian living in the Bible. We're going to look at a passage today right there that is one of the most important and helpful verses on Christian life, living in the whole Bible. This is an awesome day to be here. Thanks for fighting the cold and the snow, or whatever we call this in Texas. Um, because in our, in our series t- together in Galatians, let me just give you kind of a bigger picture. The first four chapters focused on the past of what Jesus Christ has done. It was the power of the gospel for salvation. The gospel means it is uh, by faith alone in a gift of the payment for our sins alone that Jesus Christ gave us alone. So it's faith alone in grace alone through Christ alone. That's the gospel. The first four chapters try to make us sure that we understood that. Chapter 5 starts moving into the theme of the whole book. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Okay? And, and now how do you live? You live by the Spirit And so while we were talking about the past and Jesus from now on, in 5 and 6, we'll talk about living currently in the Spirit, and specifically today, it's how to get out of bondage and slavery, the rut that we are in, that that we can't even help ourselves to get out of, and we become these trolls, these less than ourselves. So that's what we're going to look at today, because it requires us to not turn over a new leaf, but to be resurrected. We're going to see how the Spirit helps us in resurrection today. Let me give you a helpful uh, overview so that you can understand better what we'll do. Okay? I'm going to look at the outline itself, and then we're going to go through the outline. Together, I'm going to show you some pieces so that we can understand the passage. And as you see these pieces, I, I don't even hope that they'll make sense, sense out of them. At the end, I'll, I'll, when we get to the application section, uh, hopefully I'll be able to paint a picture or an illustration for you that will bring all of this to light. And help us learn to be set free. Okay, So we're going to look at the outline. Then we're going to look at the passage in the context of the outline. Look at the pieces in detail to understand it. Then we're going to apply it. My hope is it changes your life. Let's look at the outline. It's in your bulletin. The miscellette right in front of you. Here's the big picture. The theme is it is for freedom that Christ set us free. There's a problem. We're stuck in prison because there's a war going on uh, of the spirit against the flesh. Uh, what does f- fleshly life look like? There will be examples. What does uh, life in the Spirit look like? And then how do we walk in the Spirit? There's the big outline. Let's read through it. I'll read out loud. You read with me on the screens. I've added some words for, um, because it's in the Greek, and it's, a, it's helpful for us. Chapter 5, verse 1, there's the theme. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. 13, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not let your freedom... Uh, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Seems simple enough? Let's do it. Wait, there's a problem. Verse 16. So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, what the Spirit desires, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. They're in war with each other so that you uh, you, you are not to do whatever you want. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Okay, here's the fleshly life. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, (laughs) uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. There's more, but I warn you, as I did before, that those who practice such things, those who live that way, will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's the Spirit life look like? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience or forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, against such things, there's no law. Here's how to walk in the Spirit. For those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've been cru- they have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay? Let's, let's, let's look closer because we're going to need a miracle to keep from becoming someone that we'll regret, okay? The first problem is that there's a war going on. We look at the the verses together, verse 17, particularly in a moment. It's going to talk about a war between the flesh and the spirit. Let me just bring up some things that you need to know. First, in the Bible, but especially in this book in Galatians, the flesh is in reference not necessarily to our physical passions. It's that, but it's so much more. It is more of, this, of the deep, soulish bent away from God to get what we want the way we want it. Okay, we're gonna get what we want, or we're maybe some we'll get what God wants for us, but we're gonna get it the way we want it. So that's that's what it means. That's what the flesh means. And and I want you to notice that when we read, it said that there's a there's a war between this flesh and not like the another nature, the other nature in us, the good and evil in us. It says there's a war between this flesh, okay, this pride of life sort of thing, and the Spirit of God. It's not you it's at war with. It is the Spirit of God that is in you, that's been placed there. Something outside, supernatural, miraculous, Spirit, Holy Spirit lives in you. That's what's at war. Your flesh, I want what I want, and I'll get it the way I want with the Spirit of God. Critical to our understanding of how to apply this and to understand this is the word desire that is written throughout this passage, and and sometimes it's even left out because it's used so many times, and that's unfortunate, you'll see in a moment. Desire, when it's written in this section, every time it's used, there's a prefix uh, that comes before the actual word desire, epi, E-P-I, and it means uh, bigger, super, turbocharged, whatever. It it means inordinate amount, over, over over-controlling, all-controlling. And that's why some of your translations will turn it into a lust, you lust for. Now, that's an unfortunate translation because lust is always associated with negative things. And epi-desires have the power. You add that epi, you add that prefix, it can turn even good desires into idols. So, absolutely, certainly, uh, a desire for, uh, for passions like uh, chemical abuse or something, those are obvious. We'll use those as illustrations. Uh, because they're prevalent in front of us, uh, and they enslave us, sure, but you can, you can have a desire to get married, but you can have an epi-desire to get married and do whatever it takes to get there. You can have a desire for a good family, and you can have an epi-desire for a family where all the kids are beautiful and healthy and obedient, right? And you do whatever it takes. And, and, and you, you could just want success or epi-success. You could want notoriety or epi no, or you know, super notoriety. And that's what's at war. It's the super desires of the flesh. What you want, and you'll get it the way you want. These super desires at war with the super desire of the spirit, by the way. It's the same word is used there, too. So now, with that in mind, with, the, with that insight, let's look at verse 17, knowing the original language a little more. Verse 17 says, Now the flesh has super desires that are opposed to the spirit, and the spirit, it has super desires that are opposed to the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another that you cannot do what you want. These epidesires are analogous to like our soul being in an abusive state. Right? Whether you might know of someone or been in an abusive relationship, you can relate to your soul being in that way. It starts off innocent. It always starts off innocent. This is a great guy or a girl or someone you're working with, right? Then it becomes manipulative. Then it becomes controlling. Then it becomes enslaving, and you can't get out. Okay, the physical, the physical passions of epidesires desires are, are easy to understand, and they serve as good illustrations to the moral ones because we're fighting morality here, too and legalism. It's just as bad, if not worse. So, in our physical ex- examples of that, right there, you, you, you want something like just to feel good, whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or something like that. And it serves you, doesn't it? You, owe, you own it. And then, and then you have to have it just to feel normal, not happy, just normal. And then, and then you have to have it. And then you serve it. It enslaves you. And most of the time, you're thinking compulsively, super desiring your next time where you get to have that thing again. That's when you know you're enslaved. I want, I, I want to stop. I can stop anytime I want. No, you can't because it owns you. Now, we know that's true because we've in, been involved in that or we know someone who has, and, and we can see how enslaving it is. Epi-desires and moral addictions are just as bad. You get a good grade as a kid, you get a pat on the head. Oh, I like that pat on the head. And then those good grades lead to a good job, and you get a pat on the head, and I like that pat on the head. And other people are patting you on the head. Perfect strangers are patting you on the head. You're a successful person. You have a good job. You have a good family. Pat, pat, pat. And something happens. It becomes a super desire where you're now serving that reputation. And you know you're serving it, and, you're, and it owns you because now you're worried about losing it. You're angry when somebody threatens it. You're jealous towards someone else who has a better reputation, right? You're in a cage just like our friends that are in some kind of chemical addiction cave. Yours just maybe decorated different or has different colors. The bars are the same nonetheless. You're trapped because of epi desire. You've made an idol out of something that you've formed out of your hands or your lifestyle. And you can't get out. You're going to need a miracle. Verse 16 is that miracle. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Okay. The first part says walk by the Spirit. That's how you get out. We'll talk about that in the application section. But please note this. Look. Look what it says. Uh, 15 is not up there, but it it goes flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. See how it says that, right? Or spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh. See, the spirit will not gratify the flesh, and the flesh won't gratify the spirit. Be led by the spirit, therefore you are not under the flesh. No, it doesn't say you're not under the flesh. It says you're not under the law. Now Paul has pitted the law against the spirit. Not just the flesh is against the spirit, but if you're going to be led by the spirit, you won't be under the law. point is this. If you want to get out of the cage of your your physical passions or your moralistic, legalistic, good-for-you passions, the law will not help you. As a matter of fact, the law is part of the problem. The law will hurt you. You want to be free? You have to get out from underneath this law. The law is part of the problem, and that's what we're going to have to worry about. So there's our problem and kind of our solution. We'll look at the solution in just a moment. Let's look at characteristics of, back to the outline, the fleshly life. We won't go into the details. I won't even put them up on the slides. But here's, I want you to to look later on. There's 15 words that are used for, and they're the usual suspects for hedonistic, right, irreligious people, you know, the drunken, the debauchery, and the carousing, all that kind of stuff. Sure. But there's seven of those words. There are eight words, okay, eight words for churchgoers. Eight words for people that are moralistic, and this is how their super desires kind of splash out and make their, find them out. And that's where you find words like selfish ambition and envy and jealousy and hatred and discord and fits of rage and and spreading dissension. Why does that happen? Because you have these moral super, de, you know, desires, and, and you're not getting what you want, and you're not getting it the way you want, and so someone else has to pay. And those are, ex- those are just expressions of these works of the flesh, of this pride of life sort of thing. Okay, now he changes the mood, he changes the mood considerably. He's ta- let's talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Keep in mind, these are fruits of this outside Spirit that has come inside of us and is blooming. It's internal, going to the external. It is absolutely certain. It is slow. It's miraculous, and they are the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look, I, I'm, it's on the board because I want you to see, against such thing, there is no law. It keeps bringing up the law in negative and in positive, right? I mean, this is, this is odd because this is the key as well. So, First of all, just let me just show state the obvious here. The fruit doesn't cause you to be saved. It's an effect, it's not a cause. It is proof of life, right? It doesn't cause life. So it's the fruit of something else from outside, something supernatural that has indwelled your soul, because Christ has made you perfect by your trust in his gift. And now it's blooming in your life. Slowly but surely. But the law. They're against, the, against these attributes. Of course, there's no law. These attributes, future of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, they are above the law. And they transcend any expectations of the law. So he keeps bringing that up. So, n- no law to hold them back. Review, because we're going to go on to application in just a moment. There's a war on. God wants us to be free. He is, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. We can't use our freedom as a license. We can't be free because there's a war going on between our flesh, and that is, I want what I want, and I'll get it the way I want to, and the, and the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of our soul. That, that flesh desires, super desires, obviously bad things and sometimes even moral things, but they both enslave us and imprison us, okay? The law, doing good, being disciplined, keeping score, that is not the solution. It is actually part of the problem we have to get out from underneath that. So it has to be something stronger than will, stronger than hope, stronger than determination. It has to be something completely different. If we, unless, you know, right, we're going to end up in these expressions of works of the flesh. So what do you do? How do we do this? How do we get out from underneath the wall? How do we do? So there's, it's two things. There's always two things. Cover-to-cover Bible, right? There'll be various ways where the Bible will say, stop doing bad things, start doing good things. Sometimes it's cognitive, not behavioral. Sometimes it'll say, stop thinking bad things, (laughs) start thinking good things, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sometimes it'll say, something has to die, an ugly death, and something has to live and be resurrected. Sometimes it'll say, you've got to stop super-desiring these things you must super-desire these things instead. It's two. It's almost, it's almost always two. Maybe it is always two. But let's look what the passage says in 24 and 25. Here's how to walk in the Spirit. Those who belong in Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the flesh with their passions and their desires. And since we live by the Spirit, okay, we, let's keep in step with the Spirit. There are the two things. Got to crucify the flesh and its passions and desires, and then we're going to live or, or be led by the Spirit. What does "crucify" these fleshly things means? Um, it means that when we when we see these super desires in our lives, and we, we can look at that list, right, that long list of our moralistic expressions of that, or our more you know uh, basic instincts expressions of that. We look at those and we say, wait. Why has it become an idol? How has it become a super desire? Why am I so threatened when something, one of these things gets taken away or is threatened by being taken away? And so, In other words, you're self-aware and self-reflective. You pinpoint that, that kind of idol, and then you starve it. You give it none of your attention. You don't consider it. You you're not mesmerized by it. You, you can cuss in your mind at that value. That's what it means, kill it. And, and let me explain a little more about how, how it can become easier. But I want you to focus on the don't first. And then, because then he says, now let's walk in the Spirit. He says in 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And well, what, what does that mean to be kept, to be kept walking in the Spirit? Here's the key. Now, we have all the parts out about what this passage uh, says. Now, let's figure out what it means, okay? And then we can apply it. It, It's not about what you love. It's about what you love first. It's not about your desire or even your super desire. It is about what you desire most. It is about what you super desire most. This is not an issue necessarily of, of... putting away as it is about focusing on something more now that we know what super desire means let's look at 16 i think it's 6 yeah 16 17 18 now let's look at how it's about a it's a it's a race to the top that that is the definition of walking by the spirit it is what's first verse 16 so i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the super desires of the flesh. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, the flesh has super desires that are opposed to the spirit. And the spirit, wait a minute, the spirit has super desires too. And they're opposed to the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another. But if you are led by the spirit, you're going to focus on the spirit's super desires. Look at verse 16 for a second. This is very interesting. I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the, desi- the super desires of the flesh. Wouldn't you think this would should have been said? You know, um, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the super desires of the flesh. Right? Do do this and don't do that. It doesn't say. What does it say? Walk by the Spirit and what? You will not. You will not pursue these super desires of the flesh. See, it, it just happens. When you pursue the super desires of the Spirit, you're not necessarily doing something. You automatically don't do something. You automatically don't pursue the super desires of the flesh. Verse 15, so the super desires uh, uh, are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has super desires that are opposed to the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit, okay, is, is freedom. This is what we're after. If, this, if we pursue this super desire of the Spirit, that's where we get our freedom. That's how we get un, from out from underneath the law. That's how we get out of the ditch that we're in. That's how we're living free. That's, how it, that's what it means to live the Christian life, okay? We've got to pursue the super desire of the Spirit first, foremost. And the super desires of the flesh are like, they become petty, what does that look like? I mean, what is the super desire of the Spirit that we're supposed to be pursuing? Let's do this. Let me slow down a little bit. Okay, I, here's what I need you to do. This could, this could open up a lot. This, could, this is life-changing in the next six minutes, but if and only if you stay an adult, but could, you, could your soul just become an innocent four-and-a-half-year-old again? You know, full of wonder and imagination and excitement and and, you know, kind of appropriate amounts of fear, right? Could you do that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little story, but I want you to be in the story. I want you to live the story because this story could change you, okay? Um, let's do that, okay? Can you do that? So here's what happens. So you're still an adult, in, right by your house, right? This limousine pulls up to your house, and, and a couple of gentlemen get out, and you know they have the sunglasses and all that stuff, and they're fully dressed with their you know tuxedos on, and they come and they bring you an invitation, and, and it has a gold seal, it's real gold. You crack it open, you think I'm going to melt this down and make an amulet out of it. this is amazing. Who who you, you got the wrong person, and it says the the most important person in all of history that you've always wanted to meet would like to have a dinner with you. You need to leave. And so you go and you get your best outfit on, you know, the best dress, your, your best coat and tie, and you get in this car, and then, and it takes you off to some jet that takes you to the most wonderful restaurant in the entire world with the most spectacular view that you've never seen but could possibly imagine, and the restaurant is empty. There's absolutely no one there. And, and you go and you sit at this table, and you sit there, and you... You wonder, who could it be, right? Your four-and-a-half-year-old mind It's like, who could this be? Could it be, you know, Queen Elizabeth I or, right, or King Arthur maybe, you know, the man, not the legend? I would, I would, li- I would love to meet Winston Churchill. And I, so I'm just sitting there, and I'm waiting. You're waiting. You're sitting and waiting. You're getting a little fidgety, and you, you gaze out the window, and you're staring at this beautiful view. You lose track of time. Five minutes. It could be 15. It could be an hour. You turn back to the table, and sitting in front of you is this beautiful example of the ultimate human being whose sitting height alone is five and a half feet. He, He must be around nine feet tall standing, but he doesn't look like a giant. He looks peaceful and tranquil and powerful. He has a beautiful ring on it, and he just stares at you. And you stare at him, and he takes your breath away. And you, 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 can't, you can't talk. What would you say to him? You realize he's a king. And what would you say to him anyway? In his eyes, they continue to gaze. You can't stop being fixated upon his stare, and the glare goes into you, and you can feel as though your soul were physical and it warms and then shakes. And you realize this is not some person that you hope to see. It's someone you feared but loved to see. It is a king, surely. It is the king of all kings. It is the Christ. You know that by his ring, and you know that by his look. And then he speaks, and each word comes out like a castle, and he says, I have come to tell you the truth. Now I want you to close your eyes. Stay four and a half. Be a grown-up. Just be at that place, okay? Stare into his eyes if you dare. He says this, I know you. And now you know that I know you. And then you start to cry. I don't need you. I am sufficient without you. I never did need you. That's true. I don't need you to do anything. You can't do anything for me. I can do all things. That's true. I know every thought and every motive of every action in action you have ever done and will ever do. And your actions that you would call righteous, they stink like death to me. When you do good, it is so that you feel good or so that you'll look good. You avoid wrong because you fear getting caught. You are not likable. And these facts and these truths start to melt you. And then he says, I love you. I have chosen to love you. I have chosen to love you because I can. I love you for who you are, really. And I have chosen to love you, and your belief in that choice of mine will set you free to love me and to love other people. For who they are. My love is like no other love. I want to leave you two things. I'm gonna leave you this letter to remind you of who you are and who I am. I want you to have this ring. And he takes the ring off his finger, and it could fit around your wrist. And he says, it's a crystal ring, and it looks like fire. And he he says, this is a promise ring. It's an engagement ring, and I want you to wear it as a necklace over your heart because you belong to me. I own you because I chose to love you, and I chose you. And I will come back for you, and this is my promise. And this ring will remind you that I paid for you, and I made you mine. There is no condemnation for you. Stop it. Stop thinking those thoughts. What can you do? What can you do to pay me back? I made this ring out of a newborn galaxy. I am extravagant beyond your ability to imagine. You have no way to fathom the depth of my love. You cannot pay me back. Don't think you can. You have to abandon that system for yourself and for everyone around you. This is a relationship. It is not a contract. It is an engagement based on the promise of my love. It is for freedom that I have come to set you free. Now go, love, in humility. How do you feel now? How would you live? Look at me. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Brothers and sisters, it is freedom that he came. Do not use your freedom as a license. Oh, shut up with the second part of that sentence. Yeah, I would use this moment, this dining moment with the king, as a license to do anything but love him back? <laughs> Why, who, who does that? Who would think of doing that? Why do we put those sorts of things This is the love that is over the law. This is the love that doesn't turn over a new leaf that resurrects us. This is the thing that transforms us. This this is what walking in the spirit. You know how to win the war, the war that's waging in your soul between the epi desires, the super desires of your flesh, and the super desires of their spirit? You, You... You focus on the super desires of the Spirit. What are the super desires of the Spirit? Staring into His eyes, His eyes, who loved you and gave Himself up for you, for focusing on that letter, the Bible, right? That ring, the cross that's in that ring. It's mesmerizing. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. That's what it means to be led in the spirit. That means that's what it means to be carried on in the spirit. Walking in the spirit the day in and the day out. Four times a day, five times a day. You stop everything, you kind of you look at across somewhere, somehow, you read from this love letter that says his promises about who you are and how unworthy you are and how much he loves you. And you need to know this, this is a warning, it's a truth warning. You will be undone. You will be unraveled. You will be found out, not by God, but by you. And when you find out who you truly are, you're going you're to want to, it's a restaurant. This is, the, this is the flesh, right? The, the desires of the flesh. You're going to look around for that bottle of wine. I wonder if that, anybody's drinking that at that table over there. And the moralists in the room are going to, I wonder if I could clean up after. You know, I'll just clean up after and make this right. Because you'll think that will make, when you're becoming undone, you think that will make it better. Or that will distract you from your undoing. And the Spirit is saying, look at him. Look, this is my epi desire. Look at him. Stare at him. Gaze at him. That's that's the Spirit's job. Is to point to the Son. He chose you. Don't try to understand it. Just... Epi-desire it. Haven't you failed enough? Haven't you judged enough people? Aren't you tired of keeping score? Stare at him. That's what daily, four times, five times a day, stopping, thinking, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. i got to get out of this stupid prison that I keep putting myself in because these stupid epi-desires or super-desires that need to be killed. Oh, And then when you fall, listen, here's the other way to do it, okay? This is walking, kind of, you know, right, you know, step by step, right? And then there's tripping and falling. Tripping and falling illuminates what your epi desires are, what your super desire, your fleshly desires. I want what I want, and I'll get it the way I want. And when you trip and fall, when you morally compromise yourself, right, that's because you have something that matters more than Jesus, and that, that means just, again, it's, it's easier to see it physically. People were morally compromised for their next whatever, hit, fix, drink, whatever, right? They'll, they'll lie, cheat, steal, borrow, whatever, right? We do that when we, when we super-desire a reputation, when we super-desire respect, when we super-desire people to like us. Why, why would you lie and cheat and steal and... And cause factions and have outbursts of anger. Why did you throw a temper tantrum? Because something you super desired was threatened. You were jealous. You feel that jealousy. You tripped and fell. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Keep walking. Fall down seven, get up seven. And then, and you think, you said, What just happened? Why would you lie? Because you wanted someone to think something about you that's not true, but you wanted them to think that more than you wanted the truth. See? You you want uh, um, the the newscaster. Why Why did Brian Williams make up that lie? He's the pinnacle of newscasters. He's making more than anybody. He's more notable than anybody. He's the favorite. Why did he make up that story? Because it wasn't enough. You see, because he was enslaved, and the passions of the flesh are just like addictions of other kinds. He was the classic moralist that got everything, but he was in slavery, and his slave master said, But you should have more, you should be a hero too. Do you see? So he lies. Why would someone risk all of that? Because he wanted more, he was enslaved by more. But if he or you or any one of us, the next time we lie, we stop, we think, why would I want that more than I would desire? See the spirit's epi desire, the spirit's super desire. Say, look who you're eating with. Look who paid for your soul. Look at that. And somebody says something about you, what do I care? He says, I'm this way. You see. So even your moral failures are pointing to your super desires that you've made idols out of, and God says, walk in the Spirit, crucify that thing, read my love letter, study this cross, this ring that I've set around your neck, do that, come back, come back. That's how you live. That's how you walk. That's how you're led by the Spirit. That's how you keep from being a grumpy old man, a, a, right, a gossiping old woman. Right? A backbiting, jealous person. That's how it happens. A miraculous resurrection, the spirit living inside of you, and your focus, your super desire upon this king who loved you and gave himself up for you. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. And so, <laughs> brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. Now go and love each other for who they are in humility. You turn that loose, friends. You turn that loose on your friends, and on your family, and on strangers and co-workers, and you watch what God does. You just watch. Lord Jesus, I, I ask that we would walk by the Spirit and we would not gratify the desire, these super desires of the flesh, that we would be found, these super desires would be found out and we'd starve from the death ugly. These fleshly desires that are contrary to the desire of the Spirit of God to pull our hearts and our thoughts and our wills to the beauty of the King who loves us and gave himself up for us. It's so contrary to other things. Lord, I'd ask that we would walk in a manner worthy, that we would spend our time enamored with your beauty and the actions of your love. Your love is not like any other love. God, fill us with that passion for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.